The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. All right, if you have your Bibles and can turn to Psalm 46, we're considering Psalm 46 this morning. Years ago, there was a Peanuts cartoon, and it was Lucy and Linus having a conversation, and, and they're looking out the window, and there's a steady downpour of rain. And boy, said Lucy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? It will never do that, Linus added confidently. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that he would never again uh, flood the earth, and the sign of his promise is a rainbow. You've taken a load off my mind, said Lucy with a relieved smile. Sound theology, Linus said, has a way of doing that. (laughs) And that's what you have in this very psalm. There are tons of promises. And as we go through this, we're going to see all these promises. And I want you to see that all the promises are rooted in God. God's presence, God's protection, God's power, God's program, God's providence, God's preeminence. I mean, you can just keep going with the P's. They just keep coming out of this text. But let's think about what the Lord has for us this morning. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray again. Lord, as we consider now this, your word, I pray that it would be our portion, that you would be enough for us, that you would calm uh, the sea that's often raging in our own hearts and lives. We pray that we'd know what it is to be still and to know that you are God. Exalt yourself here in our midst. Ask for your help now, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Stephen King says, I like to scare people, and people like to be scared. Charlie Brown said, I have a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time. Well, there's a lot of fear right now, and there's a lot of dread that's going on. And I think this psalm speaks directly into all of the chaos that seems to be going on around us. And the reality is there's kind of two different ways of looking at life, is there not? It's either looking through life with the eyes of faith, the eyes of what we cannot see, 
or it's just looking at what we can see. And what we can see are some pretty scary things, and they don't go away in this text. I mean, the psalmist talks about the earth giving way, and literally the earth changing is literally the word. It's, it's literally changing. It's moving. And mountains being moved or tottering into the heart of the sea. And that same word tottering there, mountains being moved, is the same word used in verse 6 referring to kingdoms tottering. So you got kingdoms tottering and mountains tottering. There's no stability is the idea. It's waters roar and boil, literally, like a volcano. And the mountains tremble at its majesty. Literally, the majesty of these raging waters that cannot be, you know, even the mountains are amazed at this, these rivers. And yet in the midst of all that chaos, in contrast to these raging uh, waters, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy tabernacle of the Most High. It's the, you know, it's, you get this whiff of Eden, and this whiff of the new heavens, new earth, where it takes us back to the garden and everything was fine in Eden. There's like four rivers running through. Everything's working nicely. And we, we know at the conclusion of Revelation 22, there'll be this river again. But Jesus said in the midst right now, he says, come to me if you're thirsty. And out of you will flow these rivers of living waters. He, he's the river. We'll get to that. So do we have the eyes of faith to see, okay, we're seeing things outwardly. We're seeing nations rage, kingdoms totter. And we see that God is over all of it by faith. And so let's contemplate what we have here. Because what you have is God's presence in verse 1, verse 5, verse 7, verse 11. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help. He's present. We see that running throughout the whole psalm. I mean, if you can't see the, the presence idea, verse 5, God is in the midst of her. God is there. And then verse 7 and verse 11 is meant to, to double this. You know, it's kind of like when you do a responsive reading, you have the people respond with that part of it, you know. The Lord of hosts is with us. And how's the psalm end? The Lord of hosts is with us. So we got God's presence. And we need that. And we need it because God's presence leads to his protection. And that's what you see here in this. God is our refuge. He's our protection. Okay, And then, of course, 7 and then 11 again, we see that God of Jacob is our fortress. And the psalm ends with the God of Jacob is our fortress. So we see God as our presence. God's presence is here, but we have God's protection. And then we see God's power. Twice in this text, we're told that God helps us. Um, he, a very present help in trouble, verse 1. And then we see it again in verse 5. God will help her when morning dawns. God has a timetable. And so this is important. I mean, we live in a, in a day and age where we have insurance, 
for everything, and we have all these kind of protections in, in, in place. We've got health insurance, home insurance, life insurance, car insurance, and you've got alarms for everything, an alarm for your car, alarm for your house, alarms at work. You've got cameras installed, and you've got big dogs to protect, and people got guns to protect themselves, and everybody's taking jujitsu and all this kind of fancy stuff to know how to protect themselves, and you've got mace, and you're you know, ready to fire at somebody. I mean, there are lots of things to be afraid of, but what this is telling us is we have God's presence, we have God's protection, we have God's power, and we've got lots of people now, they're either afraid of getting COVID or they're afraid of the government and its intrusion of power and making mandates on everybody. And you can kind of see both sides. You know, you go to each, I, I like reading CNN and Fox News and BBC, and I like, you get a completely different picture of reading them. You know, it's like one is clearly afraid of government intrusion and the other is clearly afraid of COVID. And it's like, everybody's afraid. What are you afraid of? We need to be afraid of God and like have a proper fear that like swallows up all the other fears, right? That's what this text is telling us. My professor in seminary, Dick Belcher, he says about this psalm that God's protection comes from the power of his presence, it's an easy quote to remember. God's protection comes from the power of his presence. That's what we see here. And Melanchthon, who was Philip Melanchthon, who was Martin Luther's, one of his best friends, and he was a little bit younger than Luther, and he was kind of a nervous Nelly, and he would get kind of nervous and rattled about all the things that were going on. And, and Luther used to say to him, Philip, let's sing the 46th and let the devil do his worst. Meaning the devil can do all of the raging that he might do. But God is the one whose providence is over all of these things. So even as you're seeing all the chaos, right? You see all these things that are happening. What do, you, what do we see in verse 8 and 9? We get the first command, which is come. Come behold the works of the Lord. And consider the four he's. He's brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. God's the one who's controlling all of these things. He's over all these governments, all these powers. God is in it and over it. And so we've got nat you know, natural disasters, but we also got national disasters. And what we see in this text is God has his providential ways over all of these things. God has a program and his planning, and he's going to bring it about in his time, in his way. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. And the idea here is, is the city of God is the church. That's where the temple was. It's where, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, it would have been Jerusalem, and that's where you'd come and you'd meet with God. Well, now, Jesus has come to us and he's saying, soon it doesn't, Jesus is saying to the Samaritan woman, it doesn't matter which mountain you worship on because Jesus is now the temple and now we are the temple as the Holy Spirit's been poured out and the temple's in our hearts and, and there's a stream that makes glad the city of God, the people of God. And God dwells with his people now. The holy tabernacle of the Most High dwells in our hearts. We call it union with Christ. God's in the midst of her. He's in the midst of his church. He lives inside his people. He takes away a spirit of fear and gives us a, a spirit of what? Of power, love, and a sound mind. She shall not be moved. We have hope. 
God will help her. And God will help her when morning dawns. Everything else is going to be shaken in this life. We have, no, we have no promises as you're reading this that the circumstances are going to change. Does it say that you know, the earth's not going to go anymore to the heart of the sea or the mountains aren't going to be moved anymore or there, there are not going to be any more earthquakes? Or None of those promises are given. Matter of fact, Hebrews 12, 26 to 29 says, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he's promised yet once more, I'll shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. There's going to be more shaking to come that's cataclysmic before he returns. It's going to even shake the heavens. The phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let's be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. There's what we need to be thankful for. Be thankful you're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken because everything else is going to shake, even the stuff you can't see, even stuff in the heavens. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. End of Hebrews 12. You see, what the psalmist is saying here is in the midst of unbelievable chaos, the earth giving away, earthquakes and sinkholes and mountains falling into the heart of the sea and landslides and mudslides and volcanoes and waters roaring and boiling and hurricanes and tidal waves and tsunami floods and natural disasters and national disasters and kingdoms and the invasions and assassinations and wars and rumors of war and terrorism and terrorist plots and terrorist cells and rigged elections and dictators and secret plots to overcome governments and you've got September 11th, you've got December December 7th, and you got January 6th. And what's tomorrow? MLK Day. I mean, you've got all these things, the reminders of bad things that have happened in our past. And we have to constantly update our GPSs and our, and our globes and our maps. Why do you have to update them? Because there isn't this constancy. <laughs> There's things that are constantly changing. You look at the grid and you're like, wow, the map has changed. And this country is no longer this country. Now it's part of this country. And we're seeing, you know, all these armies building up in front of Ukraine. Thousands and thousands of, of armies. And, and Putin is flexing his muscles saying, here I come. Ready or not. <laughs> and there's a lot of unrest. And Jesus told Peter, put away the sword. Put away the sword when they came to arrest him. Why is he telling him that? He just cut off Malchus's ear. Wasn't a great swinger. He was going for the head and got an ear. And Jesus said, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? Yeah, we just kind of gloss over that. You're like, wait a minute. A legion's around 5,000 people. He just throws out the word 12 there. So we got 60,000 angels. He's the Lord of hosts who's with us. Just at my command, I can have 60,000 angels come and take me down. And you're trying to get your little sword and pull it out and hit Malchus? Like, you're really special. I mean, this whole text is telling you, cease and desist. Stand down. That's the command. Be still. It means relax. I was having Pat review with me. What happens when you stand at attention in the Navy? When the superior officer comes in, you got to stand at attention. And what does he say to you? At ease. That's the command here. The superior officer showing up, and you're wanting to, you know, get everybody in, in order, get everything fixed. And God's given a rebuke. The rebuke to the nations, to the goyim. 
It's to all the pagans is literally what it is. All the people that you've written off, I'll be exalted among them. I will be exalted among the goyim. That's a negative term for all the heathen. All those pagans. People that you disagree with on Facebook and Instagram. And, you know, and God's just saying, cease and desist. Lay down your weapons. At ease. And then carry on. Carry on the mission. we got a mission to do. God will be exalted in the earth. In the nations, every tribe, tongue, nation, and people, God will be exalted. We've only raised about $7,500 of our Whitefields offering. We've got a ways to go. We do the offering because we want to see God's name magnified and proclaimed in all the nations and in all places. Places like Shady Grove Pregnancy Center, different people groups and ethnicities. Because all image bearers are important in the sight of God. And we're thankful for people like Martin Luther King, who stood up against a great oppression and a great evil, where some ethnicities were treated better than others in our country. And we don't want to do that. So no justice is for all. God will be exalted in the earth. And we've got to get on board. Okay, carry on. Be still and know that He's God. In the midst of all these things, God is in it. And God is our protection. He is our refuge. The God of Jacob. Isn't it great that our God is called the, is called the God of Jacob? I mean, He would identify Himself with who? I mean, He's the God of Yaakov. The heel grabber, the thief, the supplanter, the usurper. I mean, that's what His name means. He's the God of Jacob. He identifies with Jacob. And he wrestled with Jacob. And he had to humble Jacob. He reached out and touched his hip. So he was a changed man. He was weak now. Has a limp. God will be exalted in that. He's the God of Jacob. He identifies with weak people. He identifies with people that he's called the worm Jacob in Isaiah. You know, God loved him. He loves Jacob. God is good in the midst of chaos. In 1750 in London, there were two earthquakes a month apart. And Charles Wesley, great hymn writer, wrote in his journal, This morning, a quarter after five, we had another shock of an earthquake, far more violent than that of February 8th. I was just repeating my text when it shook the foundry so violently that we all expected it to fall upon our heads. A great cry followed from the women and the children. And what's amazing is it's 5.15 and there there are people there praying in these small groups that they had set up. And here it is, 5.15. And he says, a great cry followed from the women and the children. And I immediately cried out, therefore we will not fear, though the earth be moved and the hills be carried in the midst of the sea. For the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And Wesley says, he filled my heart with faith and my mouth with words, shaking their souls as well as their bodies. The earth moved westward and then east and then westward again through all London and Westminster. It was a strong and jarring motion attended with a rumbling noise like that of a distant thunder. And many houses were much shaken and some chimneys thrown down. But it had a great effect on people that they needed the Lord. You see, Spurgeon titled a message on Psalm 46, Earthquake, but not heartquake. 
The earth is quaking, but our hearts were no longer quaking. And Spurgeon in that very sermon said this, We never know what strength is until our weakness drives us to trust God's omnipotence. Never understand how safe our refuge is until all other refuges fail us. When the earth is removed and the waters of the sea roar and all are troubled, being driven both from land and sea, we hide ourselves in God. You who are strong in yourselves, imagine strength where only weakness can be found. You seek the living among the dead and substantial confidences amidst the vanity of vanities. If we look to ourselves for courage, we shall fail in the hour of trial. You see, it's God's power that we need. God is the one who's our refuge and strength, the very present help. He's the easer in trouble. He brings desolations on the earth. He's the one who makes the war see. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. And too often we're like the men of Israel, where it just says in 1 Samuel 17, before David fights Goliath, it says, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were much afraid. All is except for one. And Saul, Saul, or David went to Saul and said he could do it. And he said, the Lord has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, and the Lord will deliver me from his hand. I guess after seeing the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion and the Lord delivering him from them, the, the, the six fingers or whatever Goliath, they didn't seem so great to David. But David knew the Lord will do this, and he has sinned against the Lord. He has defied the armies of the living God. And so David trusted, and he ran to the battle when everybody else was fleeing the other way. Isn't that amazing? God will be exalted. We have to trust his promises. And in his providence, that he works this out in his timing, his scheduling, his program, his planning, God will help her when morning dawns. Let's just think about that for a second. We just read over this incredible poetry. God will help her when morning dawns. Have you ever occurred to you what God does in the morning? What does God do in the morning? Well, it was the morning watch in Exodus 14 that he showed up in the pillar of fire and looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared, second time, the Egyptians fled into it, and the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. And then we get to chapter 16, and it just says, Morning by morning they gathered the manna, each as much as he could eat. When the sun grew hot, it melted. But morning by morning, there the Lord just providing manna every day, providing in the morning. And in Exodus 19, when he gives the law, it says, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud blast. So all the people in the camp trembled. And then we're just told that the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spake and God answered. Moses spoke and God answered in thunder. He gave the law on in the morning. And it's interesting that this psalm is written by the sons of Korah. And Korah disappeared when the morning. 
They assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron, and they said to him in number 16, You've gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning, the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and he will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. And the earth swallows up Korah, but his family lived. And some descendants here now, Psalm 46, sons of Korah, are letting us know about what the Lord does in the morning. Most people think that this psalm was written in the context of Sennacherib and the battle with the Assyrians had Jerusalem surrounded and the city was in trouble. And there were some really haughty, arrogant words that were delivered by the Rabshakeh. And he gives this message and he tells the people, you're going to be eating your own dung and drinking your own urine. Not real nice stuff, you know, not rated G kind of stuff. This is what's going to happen to you. And we are coming, we are taking your people. And don't you even listen because the Lord has sent me. And Hezekiah goes and he prays to God. And this is what the Lord said. Therefore, says the Lord concerning the king of, of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast a siege mount against it, by the way that he came, by the way he shall return. He shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Syrians. And when the people arose early in the morning... Behold, they were all dead bodies in the morning. And you remember Luke 24 when Cleopas says to Jesus, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know what has happened in these days? And he said to him, Jesus, playing along, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was mighty in deed and power before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's now the third day since these things have happened. And moreover, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying they'd seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them the scriptures concerning himself. God will help her when morning dawns. And when morning dawned on the third day, he arose. You see, we're a people, the idea of the people of God is that we're in the dark waiting for the morning. We wait more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there's steadfast love, and with Him there's plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Psalm 30. And so we, the people of God, pray and sing, like Psalm 59, 16, I will sing of your strength, I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you've been a refuge and a fortress to me in the day of my trouble. 
Or how about Psalm 30? For his anger is but for a moment, and his favors for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So we pray, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we might rejoice and be glad all our days. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love for you. in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Psalm 143.8, great prayer to pray. Or pray Isaiah 33.2, O Lord, be gracious to, to us, we wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble. And when we do, Now we're singing and praying God's praises. We're letting God be God. And when we do, He gives us His peace. And we can step back and say, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy tabernacle of the Most High. These other waters might be crashing everywhere and bringing great desolations and destruction, but there's a river that makes glad the city of God. You see, the idea is that it's Jesus feeding his people and ministering to his people. And we know that those who've gone before us, whether it was Dave Johns or Linda Harrison or Ira Ward, all these people from our church that are now, do you think they're worried about all these things? Do you think they have any regrets of, of God's providence? Or they think, boy, I wish God had done it differently. Like now they just say, oh God, it was perfect. It was, it was all laid out. Your, your program, your providence, your preeminence in all this, you will be exalted. And so let that be our peace and our praise as we trust his presence with us, his protection and his power for his people, that he's working all things together somehow mysteriously for his good. And whatever is troubling you this morning, that you would release that over to the Lord. That He'd be your all in all. Let's pray. Lord, as we come now to You and to be reminded of Your great love for Your church, as we come to Your table, we thank You that You love Your church. That God will help her. And Lord, we wait upon You. We ask that you would be our portion and our strength, our very present help in trouble. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.